when Jesus addresses the Pharisees, when they come to ask him one of their deciduous questions, is it right for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? Jesus said, you do err, not understanding two things, the word and the spirit. One of the crises that we faced in Pentecost, and incidentally, I'm a charismatic Pentecostal. I'm not Roman Catholic, for those of you that are trying to figure out where this collar is coming from. (laughs) And what about the suit and all of that? Uh, Hopefully, by the time I finish, I would have convinced you skeptics. (laughs) And those of you that are trying to figure out who I am and where I'm coming from and what I have to say. Because I have some things to say to you uh, corporately and as well as individually. But the one thing that we have noticed over the many years uh, in Pentecost, charismatic circles, is that when there's been a divorce between the word and spirit, we've gotten into fanaticism and sensationalism. All word and no spirit is dead intellectuality. All spirit and no word is sensationalism. We need to make sure that we maintain that. And I'm definitely persuaded by your leadership. Uh, your pastor is going to Regents. And I know Regent University uh, both our children are lawyers, and we felt one time our son would go to Regents to go to law school, but they both are graduates of Oral Roberts University. Spent a lot of time up there, took a lot of money up there too, <laughs> paying for their tuitions, and uh, so we know a lot about it, and very good balanced schools, and there's a, a ministry that's in uh, New Jersey I want you all to meet, and want them to meet you. Uh, it's a tremendous ministry, uh, many thousands of people, but they're touching the world, And I've been blessed by the uh, evangelistic zeal that you have and the fearlessness that you have to go in to help people. Indeed, just like Luke says in 418, the spirit of the Lord is upon you. And for he has anointed you to many things they do, to preach the gospel and to set at liberty those that are bound and to declare the acceptable year of the Lord. He's done those things and you are doing that with great zeal. I hope that uh, our paths will cross again because the spirit of God said to us very early in our life in ministry that our paths would cross those of people who would make an impact in the kingdom of God. So I do not take it lightly, our uh, opportunity and our time that we have with you this morning. I want to speak as deliberately as I can, but give you briefly a little background, a little, um, how can I say, a little itinerary of where I am from Atlanta. I'm a dentist by training. I'm what you call a prostodontist. I met an orthodontist here. And so that's a miracle within itself. <laughs> I believe that of all the professions, the two most difficult people to get saved were lawyers, and I still question their salvation, <clears throat> and also dentists, because I felt that dentists, we are taught to be very myopic. We're trained in the cubicle, and uh, everything we do is very small we, with our hands, and consequently, we have never been people that have looked up. We always have looked down. <laughs> and uh, so the fact that I met uh, an orthodontist is a blessing here. I'm so grateful about the dedication of the baby this morning. Uh, I'm always uh, love a church when you have both the young and the old. And incidentally, I don't believe in a generational gap, nor do I believe in old school, new school. I don't know how many of you have embraced that concept, but there's only old school, new students. There's no such thing as new school. I think sometimes we are discounting historic truths. And so in our effort to be relevant or contemporary, we must understand there's some foundational things we must still embrace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marriage is still honorable in the bed undefiled. Yeah, yeah. There's some concepts that are consistent in God. Yeah. I mean, lying is an abomination to God, yeah. but an ever-present source of help in time of need. <laughs> okay, you get it. 
we come from a church that uh, Sandra said is similar to ours. It was a charismatic Pentecostal church with its roots in, uh, in Pentecost, Church of God, uh, in Cleveland, Tennessee. It started out as a very small work and began to expand. It was an all-white church when we joined it. And then when we came, we were the first Afro-Americans because it was a time the Lord was bringing about the browning of the church. <laughs> all churches had been all white, all black, or, you know, some cultural or ethnic distinction. And the church began to expand and grow. It grew into a very mega church. One of the worst mega churches in America had over 12,000 members and many pastors. And we would minister to you from the cradle to the grave. And uh, we had all kind of music. That's why I love the music here. Because uh, a lot of this that you're doing here now, we initiated that back in the late 70s and the 80s. Uh, when Pentecostals initiating choreographed dancing. The fact that uh, dancing before the Lord, you know, it wasn't just spontaneous. You can study to dance like you study to preach. Yeah. Some preachers do. And you do study to do that. We had all kind of music from Bach to Beethoven to rock to rap, you name it, to jazz. We did all this thing. We used the mime and uh, puppetry. We did everything. We had deliverance ministry. We cast demons out where there were demons, where there were demons. And if there were not demons, we would help you bring deliverance in other ways. Sometimes deliverance is a good whooping. Some people, if they get... <laughs> They'd be set free. That's a good beating. That's a good deliverance. And uh, we, had a, we had a college, a university. We had athletics, sports. We had all kinds of programs, everything you can think about uh, in ministry. And a lot of things we did. We had conferences. People came from all nations. We owned all of the airways. And the uh, Lord spoke to us early because we were Pentecostal to put on the charismatic collar or collar. And because we had the first charismatic mass, we believed that there should be a merging between the historic traditions Roman Catholicism with its understanding of liturgy and structure and doctrine. Protestantism with its understanding of preaching the word, justification by faith. Pentecostalism with its understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and ministration of the gifts and callings. We brought about a, a merging of that. And then because we used to mock people who wore collars, uh, be careful who you mock. The Lord will have you to emulate them. And so he said, put on a collar. And so we put on a clerical collar, not as a sign of any distinction or superiority, but to show that we did have some identity with the historic church. See, the church didn't begin in 1901. It didn't begin with Roman Catholicism. It began before any of that. In fact, if you understand the historic church was never Roman Catholic or Pentecostal or Baptist or Methodist or First Baptist, Second Baptist, twice removed from Fifth Baptist. None of that kind of nonsense. That was never the church. It was Church Galassi, the church at uh, at Corinth. That's what it was in Rome. That's what it was. But he said, put on this to show that you identify with the historic church. And so we did. And so we began to have liturgy, processionals, and all of that. But still, we believe in shouting and dancing, speaking in tongues, and giving prophecies, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. We did all of those things. So very wonderful church. Got into great difficulty with some of its leaders. And I will say this to you, that gifts and callings may take you to the crest of the mountain. But only integrity will keep you there. Yeah. Integrity is defined by God. And what integrity is, it's confirmation to God's original plan for you as a human. Mm. God did not design that you will be abusive or be abused. Mm. He did not deny, that design you that you'll be obstructive, that you'll be oppressed and all of those kind of things. God designed you that you'll be a joy and a reflection yeah. of his righteousness and his holiness. He made you in his image. That's the highest expression of God. Nothing else has made an image of God. That's why he's given you rationality, creativity, dominion, all of those things he's given to you. You were his chosen generation. Yeah. And so for that reason, we, we got involved in that. We believed in restoration. People get in sin. Sin is my business. I've seen just about all kind of sins you can think and imagine. I'm not intimidated by it. I'm not threatened by it or anything like that by sin. Am I still on? hope I'm still on. 
I'm not threatened or intimidated by sin when people get into difficulty. Because you must understand, one of the things about Christianity is that it is the one faith that has the power to take you from your degradation to your ultimate destiny. It can deliver you from darkness and bring you into light. It can take a rascal. It can take a drug pusher. It can take an extortioner. It can take a murderer and cause them to preach the very gospel that they mocked. Only Christianity has that power to do that. So we believe in restoration. We restored people who'd gone in adultery. Let me say that sex and money are not the only two sins. There are many other sins. You must understand that. And there's only one unpardonable sin. We were very clear on that. And so there needed to be forgiveness and restored. So we restored ministers and preachers and people who didn't even know anything about God, mocked God, laughed at God. That's why I always believe that in the church, you'll always have the living among the dying, the sick among the well. You'll have those that are lost their way with those who have found their way. You have those that are coming, drug pushers and robbers and murderers and thieves and all of those, because whom are forgiving much will love much. And so you'll have that. And that would be the nature of your church. But I want to talk with you about a topic that's very dear to me. And I do think that would have a lot of meaning to you. Because I think the crisis of our faith is our conception or interpretation of what we think the Bible has said. Consequently, the quality of your faith is dependent upon the integrity of the gospel. If you heard an imperfect gospel, if you heard a gospel that's partial, then your faith will not be complete faith. It will be feigned faith. That's why Paul could write to Timothy. I know the faith that was in your grandmother and your mother, your mother and I'm persuaded that's in you also. <clears throat> Many churches that I've gone to, they're very strong in word, but they're very weak when it comes to spirit. Some are strong in spirit, but they're weak when it comes to doctrine. We need to have a balance. Yeah. Some churches I've gone in, they overemphasize prosperity. I believe in prosperity. But you must understand that prosperity in the sight of God has very little to do with money. Yeah. Prosperity of God has to do with the favor and the wisdom, the revelation, the knowledge of God. Where money won't spend, the favor of God will get you there. So we need to understand that. And we need to also understand that uh, God has these wonderful things for us. So I want to talk with you about this idea uh, of spiritual guidance, spiritual guidance. And why is it so important? It's important because I think the challenge that all of us will face, at some point in time, we'll have to make decisions and choices. And we must understand that one of the greatest things we must do is manage our own humanity. Humanity, because when you receive the Holy Spirit, you didn't cast aside your humanity, your compulsiveness, your impulsiveness, your tendency to procrastinate, and for some, your tendency to lie. And sometimes that's still there. All of those things are there. That's why we must be transformed. But in the meantime, we can have the Spirit of God there, and we can still have a little bit of arrogance and pride that's there. We can still make wrong decisions and wrong judgments. And that's why the idea of spiritual guidance, guidance is an amazing proposition. The fact that heaven can be involved with us, the thought that a divine power can impart to us wisdom and knowledge and understanding and speak to you about the most intricate details of your life. As I say, I'm a dentist by training and the Lord spoke to us clearly about things. One time he told me about a patient. Don't touch that patient. And without knowing anything, I didn't. I sent the patient down to the physician and the physician came back and said, how did you know? I said, I don't know what. He said, this patient has heart disease. If you've given this patient an injection, that patient would have arrested right on your, in your chair. I said, well, I couldn't tell him the Holy Ghost told me. Because, you know, but he, he, he would have thought I was crazy. But see, I do believe that the Holy Spirit, which is the executive agent of the Trinity, yeah. he's the third person of the Godhead. He's the one that administrates all the interaction between heaven and earth. Wow. 
That's why we receive the Holy Ghost, not to make us tremble and quake. He's here on divine business. He's here, first of all, to mature us, to make us to be conformed to the image and the stature of Christ. But he's here to lead us and guide us because one of the things that Jesus said of the Holy Spirit in John 16 is that he will lead you and guide you into all truth and show you things to come. So it's important that I talk with you about it because this ministry will be dependent upon spiritual guidance as some of you. Spiritual guidance. You need guidance when it comes to relationships and marriage. We've counseled couples who said they received the prophetic word to be married. Let me say right now, that ain't of God. Okay? That ain't God. In fact, can you quote me and say, that ain't God. I said like I'm from the South. That ain't God. That's how we said it. ain't God. This ain't God. God does not give you prophetic words about who you're going to marry. He gives you principles. And one of the great challenges in the matter of guidance is that we put such a responsibility upon prophetic utterances that we've set aside the 10th gift of the Holy Spirit, which is common sense. <laughs> common sense. And so we need guidance when it comes to relationship. Yeah. Uh, and talking to the young women in our church many times, I say you need to uh, watch and listen. Because you're out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. And pretty soon he'll tell you everything that's in his heart, especially when he doesn't get what he wants. And you'll find out truly what's in his heart. Watch how he treats his mother and father. And if he has a, watch how he treats dogs and cats. Anybody that's an abuser of dog or cats, they need to be abused themselves. Say amen. <laughs> that tells you something about him. So I would tell them often, I said, don't be too quick. And love is more than an emotion. You need to watch and observe. And don't just get married, I said, just because physical appearance. Because how many know that everything changes? <laughs> Nothing remains the same. What was, will no longer be. <laughs> and so you must understand we need guidance when it comes to relationship. Yeah. We need guidance when it comes to money, how we handle money. Yeah. In the earlier days of Pentecost and charismatic activity, people going to the airport with no money mm. to catch a plane. Now that was presumption, writing checks on air. Presumption, believing that the Lord will fill. Let me say right now, God will not do what he's delegated us to do. And we need to understand in thinking about guidance, there are two principles you need to write this down. Divine liability and human responsibility. We must understand what God is liable for. God will not be liable for some things that we blame him for. He really will not. Sometimes uh, the Lord, we want deliverance. And God said, look here, why don't you get a job? Just, just get a job, get a job. God, I want you to cause my family to be at peace. He said, why don't you forgive your wife? And why don't you buy her a few things? Because it appears to me, most of the money goes on you. Say amen, ladies. Amen. Uh-huh. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So you need to understand divine liability. What is God ultimately responsible for? A miracle is a manifestation of something that is not humanly possible. What a miracle is. And you need to understand that God does not administrate the supernatural when the natural will work quite well i never forget when in school, some guys would go to bed with a, with a book under that pillow. I say, you wake up with a crook in your neck, but you won't learn anything. You need to understand because God has given you the power to gain understanding. But you must study yeah. to go and buy a house unseen to say, the Lord is leading me. Why well, is he leading you? Well, I just feel impressed. You can't operate by impressions, impression or instinct. It's in a multitude of counsel. And sometimes we're looking for a consenting opinion when a dissenting opinion is what is needed. God sometimes speaks to you through people who disagree with you. And so many times what we're looking for is approval. So we need to understand divine liability. 
What is God ultimately liable for in our lives? God won't fight all of your battles. He will not. He will not. God will not fight all of your battles. God will not eradicate. He will not kill your enemies. He wants to transform them. Say amen, church. Because sometimes we want to let them be killed. (laughs) I had a man in our church. Never forget, he was a deacon. And I hope you don't have this problem. But he was driving me bananas. I won't say crazy, but bananas. And uh, I kept asking the Lord finally to help him. And I must admit, I prayed to the Lord to kill him. I really did. (laughs) I I really did. I asked the Lord, you know, just take him out. And I sell somebody in our own way. This really did. And the Spirit of God said to me, change him. I said, well, can I change him? You haven't changed him. He said, change him. Help him find out who he is and what he should be called to do. Did you know that psychological and spiritual, spiritual confusion, or how can I say this? Spiritual problem manifests themselves in natural ways. Mm-hmm. Doubt, fear, and anguish expresses themselves in natural ways. Mm-hmm. Some people who are hard to get along with, it's just because there's something inside of them that's not yet resolved. Mm-hmm. You ever found people can't get along with anybody? That's a problem that you then started. So I helped this man to find out who he was and what his need. And guess what his need was? He needed people. He needed people to need him. And I had about 15 families who were just needy people. Every day, every night they would call. All the time. Some problem. Something is going wrong. A leak in the house. A bird in the chimney. Some dog not barking. I said, you can't. I can't. I'm not God. (laughs) And so finally, I got him. The deacon that was troubling me, the one that I prayed to die, <laughs> hooked up with this family who were very needed. He needed somebody to need him so he could help them. And guess what? It was a marriage made in heaven. <laughs> God will not always solve our problems in the way we should, but he will give us wisdom because James said, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Yeah. Many times in the church, I've seen challenges, yeah. challenges in the church. And it's over this whole idea of guidance. Every decision made in any church in a life in ministry, many times if we're Christian, has been predicated on the belief that God led us, God directed us. Whether it's a vision or a dream or revelation or intuition or prophecy. How many of us have made decisions? I've heard prophetic utterances given here today over a young man and a young woman. All prophecy is conditional. It's conditional, not based upon God. But it's conditional, first of all, because all prophecy is a mixture between the human and the divine. Whenever we speak prophetically, it's a part of us and a part of God. Like, it's not pure word that I'm speaking this morning. I'm giving you some of my opinion. My opinion is always right. You know, I'll I'll give you some of my opinions, basically, if you understand. So, prophecy, when it comes to guidance about these spiritual manifestations. And so, one of the things that we've dealt with over the years is trying to understand how is God involved with us? How does God mediate his will to it? Well, through his word, through the preach word, I put a preeminence upon the canonical scriptures. When I look for a final expression of anything, I go to the word of God. And I know the word of God does not explicitly address everything in my life, but there are principles and precepts. There's something called the regulation principle. It said that when you cannot find an explicit scripture for what you're trying to deal with, you look for a precept, a concept, or an example. And if you don't find it there, that's a problem. And that's when the Catholic Church missed it because they became ex catera. They felt they could speak anything without going to the word because they thought that the church came before the scripture. No, the scripture preceded everything. The word of God in the beginning was God and God spoke. Everything else comes after that. Mm -hmm. So one of the challenges that we faced over the years is that 
How is God involved with us? How does God mediate his will? How many of you had dreams before? Anybody had dreams? Good. How many of some of the dreams are nightmares? How many of you dreamed of people? Ever dream of people? Ever dream that you was whooping somebody? Whooping. <laughs> you ever had a dream like that? I had a dream like that. I had a neighbor who claimed that I was on his land. And uh, he, in fact, came to find out he was on my land. And he would create such a problem. And I had a dream that I was whooping him. <laughs> that was a dream. That I was putting a whooping on him. And then I later discovered that the dream was not what I thought it was. Although I wanted it to be the truth. <laughs> dreams are an expression of the subconscious. Yeah. Many times dreams will give an understanding of your nature. Some things yeah, about you yeah. that you don't know. But sometimes dreams can be prophetic. They can give you foreknowledge of things to come. Sometimes dreams can be confirmational, informational. Like Joseph dreamed a dream. Paul had a vision. That dream was prophetic. A man in Macedonia said, come over and help us. Must understand. Paul said when he was on the ship, I was on the ship, and the angel of the Lord appeared. Angelic visitation. Ever had one? Angel. So that all of these things are there. Intuition. How often sometime I felt they get on the plane and something said, no, don't, 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 don't do this. Just felt that unction inside of me. And then I did. And later I found out that it was of God. All of those are there. But if we lean on one of them, one of them, we get ourselves in serious difficulty. You cannot let your life be basically run by dreams, Mm. nor by visions, nor by prophecy. Mm. They call me a prophet. I say I'm a servant of God because I see what you do to prophets. You kill them. So I'm a servant of God. (laughs) But I'm a part of prophetic gatherings where people prophesy over people. And you must understand that prophecy can be manipulative. People can speak prophetically over you to manipulate you. I sense right now in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. I sense it right now. There's somebody over here. You have a thousand dollars and you're supposed to give it. I sense it right now. You should come down right now. And you're hesitating. You wonder if I'm speaking to you. Yes, you're the one I'm speaking to. And that's because we've not yet learned how to manage the supernatural. I've written a paper on the Christian miracles and the supernatural. Did you know that miracles are redemptive, redemptive? And incidentally, by now, you've discovered that I'm not a preacher. I'm a conversationalist. And also, you figured by now that I'll cover a lot of territories real quick. But when I finish preaching, I would have spoken to you. I promise you that. And you'll get the answer to some of your questions. And some of you, I won't have to speak to you specifically. You'll be spoken to indirectly. But if you listen, you'll hear it. And so, uh, what was I saying? (laughs) Miracles are redemptive. A senior moment. I'm 68. (laughs) Miracles are redemptive. Whenever God does a miracle, it's an expression of the sovereignty of God over time, seasons, circumstances, and people. Miracles are a reflection of the law of reversal. What sin brought into the world, a miracle reverses it. Sin brought in death. Resurrection reverses that. Sin brought in oppression. Deliverance reverses that. Sin bought poverty, provisions, reverses that. The seven names of God gives you an understanding of God's redemptive attitude toward us. And so what we need to understand that miracles, the problem sometimes with miracles is that we get so caught up with the supernatural, we don't understand that the natural would do. Did you know for years uh, there was a hyper-faith movement that thought that to have faith in medicine was not compatible? And so if you went to the doctor, took medicine, he said it was not faith. And so there were some people who died. Died premature because they wouldn't take medicine. And because of that misinterpretation of a verse of scripture. Remember what I said? The crisis of your faith will be conceptual. It's how you interpret historical events 
and truths. One woman who'd spent all she had on doctors and was no better. Till she touched the hem of Jesus. And they used that verse to discount doctors. Yeah. I mean, people come into my practice and in pain say, would you pray for me? I said, no, I'm, 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 I'll treat you. No, pray for me. I said, okay, if I pray for you and you get better, you're still going to have a fee. <laughs> ain't going to be free. Either way, you're going to pay. <laughs> but because they misinterpreted an understanding that faith in medicine, because after all, science is simply a child of faith. It's man trying to understand what God has created by word. That's really all it is. So you need to understand all good things come down from above from God. That have been people who have not taken that medicine. And they felt they were led of the Lord because of a misinterpretation yeah. of a verse of scripture. Yeah. That made them think that to go to a doctor or to receive medicine and health care was not of God. And sometimes looking for the supernatural when the natural would work quite well. Mm. And so we need to understand that spiritual guidance is absolutely true. Because it's how we perceive who God is. Mm. What God is. And what God would do. Mm. So allow me to talk with you about a couple of stories here. Three stories. Because I think this idea of guidance, I felt the Lord spoke to me early. And you all have deprived me of some sleep this morning. So I had to get up and pray for y'all real early. Real early. And uh, for some of you, I know I had to spend a lot of times in prayer. Because uh, I know you need what I'm talking about this morning. Because you're on the verge of some decisions where you need some guidance. And some of you have already made up your mind about something. And if you listen to me, you're going to change it. That is a decision that you made. You need to second think it. All of you have... Two sets of eyes, two sets of ears. You have natural ears and you have natural eyes. You understand that? You have natural ears and you have spiritual ears. And Paul said the natural man does not understand the things of God. The spiritual man understands all things. And sometimes the natural man makes decision out of presumption. Make this down. Write this down. Reaction is weakness. Response is strength. We react sometimes to our culture and our environment. And it provokes us to make decisions and do things that we should not do. And it's because of several things, basic needs. All of you have a need for assurance, assurance. That's why you have insurance. You won't, you won't need assurance. You want guarantees. And that's why some of you get married. You want guarantees. But how many know that marriage is risky? How many know that marriage is for grown folk, not children? Yeah. That's true. That's true. That's true. Children get upset, frustrated, and go that way. Marriage people have hang time. Say Amen. You all have a need for acceptance. You want to be accepted. But if you do not accept yourselves, don't be surprised if you're rejected by other people. You must learn to accept yourself. Now, these things drive us. The other thing you find, we have a need for wholeness. Wholeness. Sandra and I are going to holistic doctors as well as empirical doctors. Because I find that God has put in the earth things that we're needed to make us whole, to make us strong. And sometimes our problem is not demons. Our problem is just bad eating. Wrong food. I just found out, I guess, 10 years ago about high-carb diets. All of these years, I didn't know anything about it. So French fries were heavenly food. I thought fried fish and fried chicken was angelic food. I mean, that's, that's, that's of God. God. We want us to be whole, hear me carefully, and we don't like sickness. And we all have a need for freedom and liberty. But freedom without responsibility is a bad combination. And for that reason, let me give you these four stories. One is Gideon. Gideon, story Gideon. Gideon was a man of God. He came from the least of families. And Gideon had not a lot of self-esteem, self-assurance. And Gideon thought less of himself. And God speaks to him, O mighty man of battle. 
God often speaks to your potential rather than to the reality of what you know. So don't ever contend with God. Don't ever say, if God says, you're a mighty man, don't say that I'm the least. No, God knows who you are. And God is not so much concerned about your history as he is about your future. God knows where you've come from. Sometimes we're so preoccupied with our past, what we come out of it, what we've done, what was done to us. Sometimes you have to let go. Say let go. go. You have to release some things. God will not deliver you. He said to me one time, stop asking me to change this. There will be no change. You need to just forget it. That's why I say to people that forgiveness is not memory loss. It's memory without vengeance. Just let it go. Stop being angry. So Gideon is a mighty man of God. God speaks to him. And Gideon is not persuaded, so he needs to be led of the Spirit. So he fleeces God. Very early in my practice, I was going to fleece the Lord to get out of dentistry. Because the saints were saying to me that if you're in full-time ministry, you need to come out of dentistry. Because they say, you know, you can't serve God and mammon. You know all those verses. How many know that in a multitude of counsel, there's both safety and danger? How many know that popularity is no criteria for truth? A lot of people can be wrong. And they can speak you out of their persuasion. In fact, people can prophesy out of that doctrine. And so they asked me to abandon my career. And not knowing anything and trusting the saints. You have to watch the saints. Watch them. That's why at the Methodist church, at the end of the church, we'd always say, May the Lord watch between me and thee when we absent one from another. And we thought we were blessing one another. None understand the context. Jacob speaking to the crooked Laban and say, you crook. I can't watch you. I don't know what you're going to do. So may the Lord watch between me and thee when we absent one from another. So Gideon fleeces God. And God answers his fleece. And did you know in Pentecost, I've heard often that people felt that fleecing was of God. They would make decisions based upon external things. That's a God of the air. That's a God of the circumstance. That's a God of everything that's out there. And if your internal decisions are based upon things that are out there, if this is you, Lord, let it rain in there. And it just may rain. But you're going to get in a place where you can't wait for the circumstances. You must wait for the still, small voice to speak to you. And you must hide the word of the Lord in your heart so you'll know what God wants, what God does not want. And so Gideon fleeced God. And that became a Pentecostal form of guidance. Fleecing God. Fleecing will mess you up every time. God, if this the woman I should marry, let her walk in that door. And a woman walks in the door, six feet eight. And then you say this, Lord, let another woman walk in the door. And some of you have allowed that whole thing of fleecing God. Fleecing God. How many of you made decisions based on fleecing? External circumstances. I come to give you a warning today. Expand your armamentarian. The second is the idea of Joseph. Joseph. Joseph is a man of God. He's married a woman that's now pregnant. And he finds this out. He wants to put away. Because in Jewish culture, if a woman who's supposed to be a virgin is found pregnant, she embarrasses her family. Did you know they would stone her? In fact, if they found it out. So Joseph has a dream. Dreams are a channel of divine communication. And in the dream, the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph and said, Don't be afraid to take this woman. 
Because the thing that's within her is of the Lord. It's amazing how God can speak to our perplexity and sometimes cause us to make decision that goes against everything that's within us. Yeah. And sometimes cause us to do things that we don't want to do because your emotions may be good friends, but they're terrible rulers. Your emotions are constant companions. But the day your emotions are feeling and anger and frustration, if they become your ruler, I promise you, you'll stumble every time. Because jealousy is just an emotion. But it keeps you from seeing good things. Prejudice is a bad emotion. Greed, anger, all of those are bad emotions. If you don't get control of them, you'll never obey God. And you never walk in faith. Because obedience to faith requires the subjection of your humanity. So the angel appears to him, angelic visitation or whatever it was, and tells him, don't be afraid to take this woman. So the next thing Joseph has to do, Joseph has to make a decision that goes against culture, as some of you will do. You make decisions based on things that are contrary to your family. Now, for some of you who are rebellious, that, that sort of confirms what you're doing. But others, you understand what I'm saying. Uh, some decision that you must make, and you need guidance of the Lord. But it's contrary to some long-standing traditions, historic patterns. And you know the patterns were not of God because there are two things. There are traditions as traditionalism. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. There are some things that never profit. It never were good, but we did them long time. That's why I say longevity alone is no criteria for truth. Just because things have been around a long time doesn't mean it's right. And Joseph now has to make a decision. And Joseph has to go against his own will. Mm -hmm. When I went into the ministry... It was against a lot of things. So the Lord spoke to me prophetically. I blasted you out of your own world. And I brought you into my kingdom. You're a creature of the gospel. You preach. You prophesy. Predict and decree. And many will come and receive needs, said the Lord, he said. Everything within me, because everybody around me was saying, it's foolish. You should go into dentistry full time and make money. I've only practiced 20 hours a year. 20 hours a, a, a week, and I practice. If I was in it for the money, I'd practice more hours. But the Lord kept me. And when I tried to practice more hours, I made less money. Something's wrong here. <laughs> but God showed me this principle. Here's the principle. Obedience to God is more profitable than disobedience. Yes. God can make more for you if you obey him than if you disobey him. God can bring people. He can send people and cause things to prosper. He can cause you how not to have to remake things. Because as a dentist, you don't want me to make a mistake. There's one word you do not want to hear from me when you're under me with your mouth open. And that word is, uh-oh. <laughs> what do you mean, uh-oh? Uh-oh who? Where does uh-oh go? Uh-oh, what? Did uh-oh, where's uh-oh? No, you don't. And so the Lord kept us, and it caused us to make decisions against our will. But it was at a time when I had to trust God. Now, Joseph has got to trust God because everything is against him, his own emotions, his own feelings. His own expectation. And some of you may have expectations. Number one, that are not realized. Hear me carefully. You are a finite creature. And your greatest expectation do not measure up to what God totally has for you. And sometimes God will take you from a decision you're about to make to something else. And you'll think, no, this can't be God. I'm looking for a confirmation. When what he's saying is that what I have for you is far beyond what you're presently seeing. And so I thought at the time that we should be doing something else. And the Lord later showed me, trust me. Sometimes the best guidance you can have is impression just to trust me. Just trust me. Well, I didn't see that I had many alternatives, so trusting seemed to be a good one at the time. <laughs> guidance many times comes in dreams. Yes, it does. Comes in vision, angelic visitation. 
an angel appeal to Abraham and Sarah and say that even though you're stricken in years, you shall embrace a child in nine months. And Abraham and Sarah thought this must be impossible. So Sarah even laughed, being led of the Spirit, laughed. And the angel asked, well, why did Sarah laugh? Sarah said, I did not laugh. He said, yes, you did. Well, the reason Sarah laughed, because Abraham had not made her aware of the promise. See, if you're not made aware of the promise and somebody tells you something that seemed to be outlandish, you'll laugh too. It's not a, it's not a laughter, a mocking. It's a laughter of totally disbelief. Because we still don't believe in the God who does the supernatural. God who can do things beyond what we think are possible. And God is going to do some supernatural things for you. This will be known for a supernatural place. You'll do things through this ministry you'd never dream possible. That be the gift of faith working among you. The gift of faith. Hear me, children. The gift of faith. The gift of faith does not come by the hearing of a word. It comes simply by the impartation of the spirit. You don't have to hear another prophecy, another vision, another dream. You believe God. And the gift of faith is just settling that God is God. He's who he says he is. And you can do what he says he will do. And every time the impossibility is set before you, you'll have the gift of faith. And one from among you, from the congregation, whenever this church gets in the place of stagnation, when God has come, you don't quite know. One from among you will stand up and say, I believe God. Because out of the mouths of, mouths of babes and sucklings, he shall perfect praise. Yes. And praise is simply an expression of the will of God. And so Joseph now makes a decision. I'll bring you to another story. Story of Peter. Peter. Peter's Jewish. And he's prejudiced. Doesn't like Gentiles, but he's a hypocrite. As some of you are. Hypocrite. Says one thing and does another. Had a man in my church. He was one way at home and another way in church. Confused his children. Children confused with hypocrisy. Jekyll at home and hide in the church. So when his children saw that, it created distrust in him. Because they figured that hypocrisy must be the norm. After all, that does it. And so here you have Peter, who's a hypocrite. Has to be contended with by Paul. Eats with the Gentiles when the Jews are not around. The Jews shows up, he won't eat with them. Paul confronts him. That's apostolic ministry. He confronts things. That's what I do. I have to confront people. I'm not very popular. Many times I have to leave in the back door. Because <laughs> people get angry. But here, Peter's on the housetop. And the Lord speaks to him. Embrace me carefully for the next few minutes. He speaks to him. And he has a vision, he has a dream of something he's never done, never seen before. Four-footed beasts and creeping, creeping things are let down the sheet. And each time, a voice said, slay, eat. And Peter resisted. I've never done this before. Hear me carefully. You're about to enter into a phase with some things that you've never done it before. Because after all, the word new means that you've never done it before. And so the sheet ascends. And then the voice said, Peter, rise. Three men downstairs seeking you. Go down. Asking no questions. It's a hard thing to say to a Pentecostal. Don't ask any questions. At the same time, there's a man named Cornelius. He's a Roman centurion. Okay? The Italian band, I think it is. And a man appears to him. And first thing that Cornelius does, he bows in reverence to this, this creature, this angelic messenger. And he speaks to him. Send for Joppa. There's one named Peter. He's praying now. And he shall come and tell you things that you must know. Everything that God wants you to do, you don't know yet. In fact, everything God has for you is not indigenous to you. That's something called mediation in God, which means that sometime before you can move to the next step, there's somebody that's missing in your life. Come on. 
And that person must appear for you to get to the next step. And so Peter goes down and goes with him. And the moment Peter rises, the men appear. And Cornelius bows his knee to Peter. And Peter says, stand up. Now I said to you about I'm a bishop. A bishop is a servant office. It's not Roman Catholic. It's biblical. It's a Bible word. It's episcopos. It's identical to presbyteros. They were interchangeable. They were servants. They were elders in the church. They were not called people to rule and to dominate, but to teach, to instruct. They were communication between the church and the world. They were people that presided over, over the, the church. They were guardian of sound doctrine. That's who they were. Not Roman Catholics. Hear me carefully. They're not called the Lord over people. I wear a ring. It's a symbol. As this is a symbol. When they ordained me as a bishop, I told them if it takes more than five minutes, it ain't God. Because <laughs> I've been in ordination services where it took four hours to ordain a bishop. That ain't God. That ain't God at all. Because the biblical pattern for ordination in scripture is to be found in the book of Acts. As they fasted and prayed, the Holy Ghost spoke. They laid hands and let them go. I bet you that didn't take a long time. Because those boys were in danger of being persecuted. They didn't have a long time to sit around and wait for liturgy and a whole bunch of prayers and stuff. Tell them what God wants us to do so we can get out of Dodge. And so we need to understand that a bishop is a servant office. But now Peter gets there and he begins to preach. As he begins to speak, some things happen that he's never seen before. Some of you are about to experience some things you've never seen before. Some spiritual manifestations. That's why the Lord brought you all here to California. That's why I left you here. That's why some of you are here this morning. You didn't come in just accidentally today. You came here because of a divine appointment. For some of you here in the answer to some of your perplexity, you're here to answer some of your long-standing questions. For some of you want to know why God allowed some evil and wickedness and bad things to happen in your life. God didn't allow it. It happened. But hear me carefully. If what came upon you didn't kill you, you must be the stronger for it. Mm-hmm. That's a pattern. It's truly. And one of the things must be clear. That some of you have believed that God has been testing you and proving you. And that's a false doctrine too. God tests no one with evil. James says that. God proves no one with evil. So if conflict has come in your life, hear me carefully. If you believe God has put it upon you, you won't fight against it. You'll think that it's God and you're waiting for you something to get through. No, 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 no. That's, you came this morning so you might be delivered from that heresy. That's not of God. God is the one that takes you through something, not puts you through heartache and trial. Why would he say when you walk through the fire, that shall not be the singe of smoke upon you? Why is it that when you walk to the water, it shall not overflow you? What is he saying to you? He said, I have not called you to trouble. Well, this will be a church spoken of and spoken against. So don't ever think that the absence of persecution is an indication of God's favor. Sometimes the favor of God is the presence of persecution. So you have challenges, you have difficulties, you have trial. But to whom much is given, much is required. And that's what Peter came. Much was given to Peter. So now Peter sees them speaking in tongues. The presence of the Holy Spirit eliminates prejudice. Really. If you don't think a woman can preach, just let the Lord baptize one in the Holy Ghost, as I saw in Africa. They didn't think a woman could preach. And so all the men couldn't get there. Because you must understand, children, the providence of God. God can shut a door and open a door. And the preachers who were called to preach couldn't get to the meeting. And the only someone that was on the platform was a woman. And they said, a woman can't preach. And so they asked her just to exhort the people. She began to exhort the people. Oh, She exhorted the people. When she started exhorting the people, people started getting born again, falling down, demons coming out of people, getting healed. And the people who spoke the karma are not there. They kept exhorting them again, encouraging them. And she kept encouraging them. 
And pretty soon when all of this crowd was stirred up and they saw the power of God, they said of the woman, you must be a man. (laughs) (laughs) My time has come to an end. And um, I must admit to you, I'm a conversation, as I said, and I needed to touch a few things. But I want you to feel my spirit as I felt yours. You are a church destined for greatness, not success, for greatness. Don't ever get enamored with success. That's a small thing. Fashion of this world pass away. Greatness is measured by God. He's called you to do things that generations have not done before. You'll transcend generation. You'll connect generation. You'll connect cultures. You really will. Money will not be a problem for you. God will take care of all that. And don't be concerned about this. God will provide you. And you'll go through several other tabernacles before you get to. And I'm not too sure if you'll come to a final resting place. Because the church of the New Testament, what we're looking for now, will not be a church identified by its housing. It will be identified by its power. And you'll have many different congregations throughout California. You'll have. In different cities, you have different locations around. You will have that. And your leader here is called to be a bishop. He's called to preside over. But it's the apostolic power that's there. That power to transform. There'll be leaders from some of you that'll be raised up. And you'll be led of the Lord. That's why I want you to focus on this thing. Go back and study on spiritual guidance. Don't be led by one thing. Don't be led by your impressions or emotions. And there's some of you, some of you, pride will cause you to leave a station that God has set you at. Pride. Take heed, children. Stay where God plants you. God joins you to something. Stay the course. Be there as long as God keeps you there. You're mature. What God has for you is greater than anything you can achieve. I promise you. So I've just come to give you an exhortation, if I can. I've spoke fast, but really slow. I speak about 95 miles an hour, but today I've spoken only (laughs) 42.7. Let me pray for you because my time has come to an end and I must stop here this morning. Must stop. Must stop. Uh, Let me say before to this lady here, ma'am, you. The favor and the grace of God is upon you, okay? And it's of such a nature that it's contagious. It would affect all that are around you. And God truly will answer your prayer. Truly will answer your prayer. Hear me, daughter. Truly will answer your prayer. Before your eyes have fallen upon sleep, you will see it and you will know the power of God. And all around you, you will know this is God. This is God. And I hope that you hear me here today. Because this will be a church where the wisdom of God is made known. It will be so common, it's like air that comes about your face. But don't disrespect it. Don't disregard it. Don't let the commonness of God cause you to dismiss it always worship and magnify him always esteem him and his glory magnify him keep him as god keep him at the pinnacle of your heart keep him at the crest of your soul god will do for you what you cannot do for yourself he really will those of you are struggling for things in life oh what he has for you god can give a thing in a moment he can turn a city make a nation in a day god can give you what you need and nothing that you need will you lack So, Father, I've come today to thank you in the name of Jesus for these beautiful souls, wonderful spirits. Thank you, Lord, for leadership that you set and destined for greatness. Thank you for the zeal, the enthusiasm, the fearlessness, Lord, to go into all of the world, to bring redemption and great salvation, to bring deliverance. Oh, Lord, I pray, I pray that the next trip that's taken here will be of such a surprise that deliverance will be so mighty. That those that are in captivity, Lord, will be led free. I'm praying that they'll be set free and some will come here and they'll be heralds of the gospel. 
I'm praying in the name of Jesus. I'm praying for resources, Lord, to finance all the things that this church will do. I'm praying for his restoration ministry, that you release those, Lord, who are in danger to drugs and alcohol and all type of addiction, that they'll be set free. And those, Lord, have been punished, Lord, by history. Lord, their future will reward them because they'll see the goodness and the glory of God. I'm praying that this will be a family church, strong families, Lord. I'm praying that generations will be raised up in this place. Young ones, the pitter-patter of little feet, shall also one day preach and declare the gospel. Oh, God, thank you, Lord, for the many voices, tongues of men and angels, Lord, sing in this place. I'll let your will. (laughs) Hallelujah. Let the glory of the Lord be upon you. Let his mighty power be manifested through your children. Rejoice and open your eyes. Look up unto the heaven which cometh your help, for your help cometh from the Lord. His strength shall be your passion. Hope shall be your virtue. Wisdom, wisdom shall be a constant companion. He is promising you today, Jubilee. Jubilee will be your passion. He's promising you today, spiritual and practical guidance. He's promising you today, productivity of labor what you have done before that did not profit continue to do it because it shall truly bring forth fruit he's promising you productivity for your children those that you embrace they have not been born into the kingdom for trouble they've been born into the kingdom for joy and productivity i promise you this here and even those of your household shall rejoice in things of god there's some of you that before seven days has come to pass Members of your family who said they will never embrace God. They will fall upon their face. And not too long before mothers come, they will be in this church worshiping and praising God. He takes the rascal and makes him a preacher. I love God. He can do all things. So I commend you unto the Lord. And I justify you as a righteous people who will bring forth much fruit. Because you will honor the Lord your God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to the Lord. Hallelujah to the Lord most high. Hallelujah and glory to his name. And may the blessing of the Lord rest upon you. May our path cross, I pray God, again. May our path cross again. That I can see the fruitfulness of God. And if I come anytime and find out that you are stagnated. That you have not moved where God wants you to move. You will see the wrath of Kirby. <laughs> but my wrath is nothing compared to his. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mm.